Welcome to Plainfield Bible Church and Sunday School. It's going to be a, a little clinical today, a little academic, which I really don't like to do, but it is necessary. Hang in there with me. We're going to walk through some things that are important for structure today. We're going to be looking in the Old Testament. I can see I'm going to knock over these tables as the morning goes along. But this is the Word of God, and the Word of God is, is always beneficial to us. It's always beneficial to us. And along the way, we're going to see how, how wonderful, incredible God's Word is and His prophetic Word is and how that affects us along the way. But this is a little academic today, so just a, just a warning on that. And I noticed that the high schoolers are in here today. Some high schoolers are in here today. And they're thinking, oh, sweet, we're going to talk about the return of the Lord. There's going to be math today. Yeah, sorry, high schoolers. You were probably hoping to avoid more academic things today. But there'll be a little bit of math. Before we do all of those things, let's talk to our Savior. Heavenly Father, we love you, praise you, glorify your name. As we've been discussing and your word has articulated for us, illustrated for us, you are worthy of our praise. And as we'll see today... This has always been your plan. It's always been your timeline. It's always been your structure. And you're so good that you've told us ahead of time that this would take place. But it wasn't just this. You told us ahead of time that your son would come to redeem us. And that's so important to us. And it's, the, it's of utmost importance, as Paul would say. It is of first importance. And I pray that we never lose sight of that. That um, there was an atonement for sin. An eradication of sin. That that these things had to happen, and you told us that would happen too. Because we know that happened, we know that these other things will happen as well, and they're all part of your plan. What a, what a wonderful and amazing God you are. We praise you. Be with us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get into this today, as I mentioned, it's going to be just a slight bit academic as we go along. But let me just kind of bring us around here a little bit. We're transitioning from chapter 5 into chapter 6, as you know. This is going to be a scene in heaven transitioning that actually is interfacing with the scene on earth. And why we know this is because, and this is, the, this is really important, we have the Savior who's worthy, right? We've established that he's the one that has the right and he's worthy and he's initiating these things that are taking place that are going to take place on earth. That is critical. As we, think, as we think forward, and I'm going to just adjust this for a second. It just keeps falling off on me. As we think forward, there is going, there are, you're going to hear voices in this world of eschatology that, that will say this. And, and this will help, hopefully help to kind of put things in perspective on um, why things are happening. This is not Satan doing this or initiating this. This isn't the world initiating this or doing this. God will use elements of, of this world and he'll use elements and the, po the power he gives to Satan and then subsequently what we'll talk about today, eventually, the Antichrist. But this is God's doing. He's in full control. Let's just back up for a second and remember who was holding the title deed the entire time. God of this world is Satan, but, but who gave him the authority was God the Father, the Ancient of Days, God himself, who took the scroll from the Ancient of Days, who took the scroll from God the Father, 
Well, it's the Son of Man. It was the Messiah. It's the Lamb that was slain. It's the conquering Lion of Judah. He took the scroll. He's in full control. And as we see today, he's going to break these seals. So we want to always remember he's, in, he's sovereign. And that's so important as we look through all of this. And we're going to see that as we study his word today and we go back into the Old Testament and look at it. So although that says Revelation 6, 1 through 8, we might get through 6, 1 through 2 today. It was never my intention. But these, these six, first six seals, actually the first five seals that we'll cover this week and next week, um, is kind of just kind of our start into this tribulation period. We need to establish a timeline. We need to establish where this number comes from, where that number seven comes from, where this character that we so commonly call the Antichrist comes from, where that, and he has very many names in the, in the word of God, and we'll see that as we go forward. Okay, back to this chart that we looked at before. Dave reminded me or told me, which I didn't know. There are times where I've, I've done this with our little pointer, and then I'll start doing it back here, and nobody can see that but me. Thank you, Dave, for that. I, I've pointed at this. But <laughs> this is this section that we're about to engage in, and as you know, I use this one as well. You may have noticed, noticed on here, as we've looked at it a few times, this particular line right here, the 70th week of Daniel. And I've never really referenced it. And we're going to look at that today in detail. This is going to be complicated. I'll just tell you right off the bat. It's a little complicated. I've done my best to kind of construct some slides to help simplify it. But it still may not be simple. It's difficult. Some things in the Word of God are hard and difficult to understand. But what we're going to look at is this 70th week, and I'll explain what that concept of week means, why 70, and we're going to get to that. And it may take the entire time today to do it, but we're going to do that as we, as we start to dive into these seals, these first six or seven judgments as we look at it. Now, just as a reminder, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important to remind us why this is happening. This is week one and week two of this series, which is now unbelievably 10 weeks ago. But just as a reminder, the purpose, just to bring back some of these reasons that we have, not all of them, but some of the reasons that we have this event taking place in the future. Right off the bat, it's a good reminder of this is about Israel, okay? This is a time of Jacob's trouble. I gave you two versions of this, the NASB that many of you have in front of you, time of Jacob's distress, which is what you see, ESV as well. But time of Jacob's trouble, you hear that very commonly given. And it isn't just because God wants to give him trouble, okay? That, that's not the reason for that. Remember how Daniel puts this. He puts it this way, there shall be a time of trouble for your people, but notice... But at that time, your people shall be delivered. It's to deliver them. It's to bring them into the, a right relationship with Christ. But notice, it's not just, just a blanket statement. Notice the qualifier. And this is so important. It's for, important for you and for me, too. He's talking about the nation of Israel. But it's everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Well, who's that? Those who have put their faith in Christ alone, by, through grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. The Jew or the Gentile. That's how you get put in the Lamb's book of life, and we've discussed that before. So it's a time to bring them back into a right relationship, to a right understanding. We're not going to look at it today, but of course, from Zechariah, we know when they look at the one in whom they've pierced, they will mourn. We know that that is uh, an essential piece. I'm going to knock that over, I'm sure. An essential piece to going forward. So that's one purpose. 
there's also another purpose. And I, I thought, this is interesting. This is a little further ahead. It's in looking back on the judgments that we're going to be studying. So this is a little further in Revelation. But it's a good passage because it gives us a breakdown of other reasons. Notice this passage. So this is from Revelation eleven eighteen, And I'm going to bring it, I'm kind of break this down here in just a second. But here's what the passage says. The nations raged. So the Gentiles, the Jews, but generally the Gentiles throughout the world rejecting the Messiah, we're going to see that they know that it's the Lamb who's bringing about the wrath. We'll look at that in a moment. But your wrath came, and that the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So let's break that down real quick. Another purpose here. It's a time, this, the nations rage, but why is his wrath coming? Yes, it's a time of Jacob's trouble to bring Israel back into a right understanding, to understand that the Messiah whom they pierced is the real Messiah, but it's a time for the dead to be judged. That will be at the end of the tribulation. Rewarding of your servants, I think that happens near the beginning, of course, at the judgment seat of Christ after the rapture. And rewarding who? Prophets, saints, that's us. Those who fear your name, both small and great. The, the, the ones we know about, the ones we don't. It's for all believers. And that, of course, bringing judgment on those who have destroyed his place and had continued to reject him. So that's what we see here. But there's more. There's more. It's to deal with this sin. And this is a reminder for us, a quick application for us. We know God is coming to deal with the, the things that we do, that we've been doing. And I say we because this is mankind. Notice these things. These things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry. These things are why God's wrath is coming. But contextually, what is this about for us right here? We don't walk that way anymore. As the believer, we know God's wrath is coming because of this, and we have the capacity to still do this. And he says, put this to death. In these you two once walked, but we don't do it anymore. You once did that. Remember, what you and I have done, our, our sin nature is part of why this has to happen. This judgment has to happen. So a good reminder as we go forward, understanding as we study these things, God expects us to live holy lives. We know why this is happening. So we act differently. Just a good reminder of what we've seen going forward. Here's another one, a reminder to the believer. This is good stuff. We wait for Jesus, right? We wait for his son from heaven. Contextually, we know it's talking about him rescuing us, whom he raised from the dead. This Jesus who delivers us from this wrath to come. What a great reminder. We have a great Savior who, who loves us. And, and, and desires for us to be in relationship with him. But he's going to deliver his bride. This certainly, contextually, we're talking about his return or probably the rapture specifically, waiting for him from heaven as he takes us to be with him, John 14. But then we have Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 saying this. I think this is a dual situation here of wrath. Notice this says, since we belong to the day, Paul telling them about the return and his Christ's return, rather, and the concept and the, what's you know, kind of going around all of this or what's surrounding all of this. So the context is his second coming, but there's more to that. We've put this breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of hope of salvation. So it's his return and our salvation. Notice again, God hasn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is a dual meaning. This is eternal wrath. How do we avoid that? Through salvation in Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. 
But then this is also, because contextually he's talking about the Lord's return, I think we have a dual play on what wrath he is keeping us from. So it's an important thing to understand. We are being saved from this. And then one more that we've, we've referenced a few times, a reminder to the church, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth. And remember, that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. He's going to keep us from that. So a good reminder about what's going on and what's going on for us. And, and what a Savior we have, right? What an incredible Savior we have who loves us and died for us and is going to redeem us, ultimately glorified with him. Amazing stuff. Okay, so really important here as we go through here. As I mentioned before, it's essential to remember this point. It is the Lamb who breaks the seal. It is the Lamb who initiates all of these things because he's the only one that has the authority, the right, and the power to do so. It's really important. So let's go to Revelation chapter 6. I'm actually going to read 1 through 8. We will not, we will only generally gloss through 1 through 8 today, but I'd like to read it to start with. So go to Revelation chapter 6 and let's read 1 through 8. And we'll break down one here in just a moment and bring this back around with some reminders as well. But it's good to read this text we'll be covering for the next two weeks. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened up one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, one of these angelic creatures we were introduced to, say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came, came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed with him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, well, we'll stop there because that's about as far as we're going to get for the next two weeks. So that's our first just taste of what's coming in rapid succession. And you can see, although these are pretty quick, these, these, these judgments are pretty quick, they make a pretty big impact. It's a pretty significant thing, and we'll see this going forward and how this works. Now, let's just get to verse 1 here for a moment. Notice I said, and I've mentioned twice now, the lamb opening the seal. Now, just to remind us of that, remind you and I of that, of this future scene that we are going to be a part of, let's remind ourselves of what we will say about this lamb. So let's just go back for just a second. Now, I'm, you'll see this next slide I've put together. It is combining verses from chapter 4 and chapter 5 of what we say and what those angels retort. Okay, But remind ourselves of what we know now and what we will say 
in the future where when we're in this moment when the lamb is revealed as the one who is worthy. Let's remind ourselves of what we will say. Glorified believer, I pray that that's going to be you someday in this moment. What are we going to say about him? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and our honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 4, we acknowledge that the triune God is creator. We acknowledge it. We acknowledge that, and that's so critical because if you study Romans 1, what do people not acknowledge? The Creator. And when they don't, they go off into all of these other things that we just discussed is why God's wrath is coming, right? We understand that we don't acknowledge the Creator. We're never going to get to this gospel message. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So we need to acknowledge the Creator. So we do that. Okay, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain by your blood and you ransomed people for God. Now we acknowledge him as redeemer, remember? And we praise him for that because he redeemed us, he ransomed us, he paid the price that only he could pay and he paid it all. All to him I owe. All to him I owe. You run through that him in your mind and it makes you emotional from every tribe and language and people and nation that includes us and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth what do the angels retort worthy is the lamb who was slain they shout it worthy is he okay you remember why is this important why because we're going to see a lot of characters come up and we're going to see a very par- very powerful character come up right away and it's really easy to think in your mind ooh This is like a real challenge to Jesus or a real challenge to God. And let me just remind you, no, he's not. What did did Pastor remind us a few weeks ago? He's got nothing on me. And I just love that line that Jesus has there because is it that true? This is true. This is true. He's got nothing on our Savior. Worthy is the lamb. All of these horrific things are going to happen, but this is all by God's hand. Okay, I think we've got a good setup for this. This is God doing this. You have nothing to fear, right? You have nothing to fear as a believer, and there's a tendency as we begin to, to dive into this stuff that it's scary, but not for you, right? Perfect love casts out. Fear has to do with judgment. If you're in Christ, your judgment is not of your sins. That's been dealt with, and remember, paid in full. That's done as far as the east is from the west. We don't study this in fear. We study this in awe. That's what we do. We study this knowing that our God has, has told us ahead of time. I've told you ahead of time, but he's told us so much ahead of time. Now, before we go any further with this, I want to try to get a better understanding. I think there's some confusion that I sense with not you all. I'm not saying that you're confused. That, that would seem kind of offensive. I just mean in Christianity in general, where people look at Matthew 24 and they're hunting to find things in the newspaper to help us think, okay, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, or he's coming back soon because I see things in Matthew 24 that seem like they're happening today. I'm going to make an argument here for you. I believe what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21 is a parallel passage. We'll, we'll t- tap into both of them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in here today because it's really not my focus, but I just I want to deal with this for a second. I think Jesus is talking about this tribulation period. The things that are happening in Matthew 24 that Jesus references are things that are taking place right before his return, that seven-year period, this what we'll discuss today, this 70th week of Daniel. 
And I keep talking about that. I will explain that today. Is it possible that the, and, and by the way, you might think, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. What's Matthew 24 and 20? Well, these are the things like wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, right? That there'll be persecution, that, that, that there will be famines and there will be pestilence. That these things will be, as he g- describes them, like birth pains. That they will be increasing and more intense as the return of Christ gets near. That is all true And we could begin to see these things today before the tribulation begins because I think that is part of the birth pains. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying right before I come, these things will begin to happen. And what I want to show you just very quickly, we're not going to hang in any of these, but with just some of those verses we read this morning from Revelation 6, 1 through 8, I want you to notice the parallels, okay? That there are what Jesus is referencing and then what Jesus tells John to write, they're almost exactly the same, just said a little differently. So I think what Jesus is referring to here is the tribulation period. We're going to see this even more clearly as we go forward into the tribulation. The reason I'm taking the time to do this is I I think it's, it's a little dangerous to take Matthew 24 and say, look, I see this sign right now, so he's right around the corner. Listen, be excited about the Lord's return. We don't need any signs for the rapture to happen. None. It could happen before I stop talking today. I hope it does. I pray it does. But we don't look at Matthew 24 and 25 to say, see, I'm certain that we're close now because I see, I think these are talking about the tribulation period. You'll see what I mean. Let's just break this down very quickly. First thing Jesus makes mention of, which is pretty fascinating, and feel free, by the way, to turn to Matthew 24 as we go through this, but I'll be jumping around. His apostles are asking him, hey, when is all this stuff going to take place? He makes mention of the temple being destroyed. They assume that the temple destruction has to be the end of days, like the total end of it all. That's their assumption because it's the center of their worship. That is not the case. Of course, we know the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but they ask this in correlation with and the end of the age. He just addresses the end of the age piece. He does talk about the temple, but he kind of Because their understanding isn't clear, of course, how could it be? He just addresses his return, the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so look at the first thing Jesus says. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. It's the first thing he mentions as as one of the signs, these birth pains. Luke 21 says it's slightly different. He'll say, I am he, I am the Messiah, I'm Christ. Notice what we call this character that we, we're going to see, well, we've already seen, but I'll explain, is the Antichrist. He is considering himself the Christ, the anointed one, the holy one, the Messiah, the one who is going to solve the problems, and we'll see why it's false. Don't go after him, he's saying. And then we're going to see right off the bat here, a white horse in its rider had a bow and a crown was given him, and he conquered, and he came to conquer and to conquer. And I'm going to make the argument that he's dealing with a false Christ here, Let me just for a second here, I'm going to use multiple terms. You'll hear antichrist. By the way, John's the only one that uses that term. We use it, and it's good to use. There's nothing wrong with that because it's good at an an explanation of what he does. But he is called the abomination of desolation. He's called the beast by Daniel. He's called the small horn by Daniel. He's he's called um, uh, a false prophet in other situations. There's going to be later on, we're going to see a beast and then another beast. And it's going to get a little confusing. There's a few terms. Paul uses another as we go forward. 
But just keep in mind, we're all talking, all of these are talking about the same guy. So right off the bat, in this Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21, we see him mentioning a false Messiah. And then we're going to see one show up. I'll explain how that kind of, it looks like Christ, but it isn't in a moment. What's the next thing we see? War and rumors of war. That's what Jesus makes mention of, these these things that are going to begin to come. Wars and rumors of war. Well, we already read, what's the second horse? What's the second seal? Well, it's violence, war. It's a great sword, a great sword indicating war. We'll get to this next week in more detail. But the, the, the rampant killing of one another, wars and tumults, as Jesus says in Luke 21. So notice that these are kind of going in order. Famine, Luke 21 uh, Matthew 24, making mention of famine and earthquakes. This, the, the third seal, the third horseman, is making reference to a famine. We'll get to that next week as well. Pestilence. Luke 21 specifically mentions pestilence. That's viruses, by the way. We're pretty familiar with those now. Now, we kind of get the idea of what could potentially happen. We had a little dress rehearsal for what, how the world will react to something like this. We'll talk about that again next week, too. We have persecution mentioned. Jesus brings this up in Matthew. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. We're going to see that Jesus references the reaction of these who were slain, these martyrs in heaven and their reaction. We'll talk about that going forward next week. But notice, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about, and it's exactly what we see in the beginning of Revelation. Okay, and then earthquakes, the very famous one. There's a huge earthquake as we get into this going forward in Revelation 6 in these first six seals culminating at the very end. And so these earthquakes coming along and getting larger and more intense, this kind of goes in line with that. I just wanted to quickly address that because I believe that Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21 is probably referencing what's going on just before the Lord's return. I'm not discounting that we may see some of those things today, foreshadowing it, but the real fulfillment of these, and you'll see this very clearly as we go forward, is going to be in that last seven years, just before the Lord's return. Everybody kind of with me on that? I know this is getting a little bit, again, academic. All right, I'd like you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Let's address this 70 weeks, because what we've read, what we've just read up to this point is talking about what Daniel predicted would take place, okay? Remember that first thing Jesus said would come, which would be a false messiah or false messiahs, and there's been plenty up to this point, by the way. This isn't going to be the first one. This is just going to be the ultimate one. And uh, even John himself in 1 John makes reference to there's many different types of false Christ or antichrist, but not the ultimate one. There will be an ultimate one. But if you go to Daniel chapter 9, I guess I need to turn there too. I'm there already. Sword drill. Okay, Daniel chapter 9. While you're t- still turning, this is going to give us a structure, a timeline. It's going to give us a structure and a timeline for what's going on here. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, it gets a little complex, but help, just stay in here with me. From Daniel, we get a lot of information about the Antichrist. And you'll see me tapping into Daniel, Daniel 7, Daniel 11, Daniel 9. You're going to see this happening. Before we jump into this, it just reminded me, and I put it in my notes here, and I almost skipped it. Go back a couple pages to Daniel chapter 7, just for a moment, so you can kind of see what I mean. He references this, 
this small horn, this beast. They got a couple names for them. And it's kind of interesting. We've been discussing Jesus being the one who has the right and the authority and who deserves honor and glory and praise. This is kind of interesting because in the middle of what I've referenced in Daniel 7, we have a look, another look at this Antichrist character. Just as a reminder, so chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool, and the throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him. Does this sound a lot like the throne room we've already looked at? Yeah, it's the same one. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Now this is going forward a little bit, but we're going to see a reference to the Son of Man having the authority here. But look at in the middle. It makes reference to a character. As I looked at, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, this is the Antichrist character, will develop as we go along. And as I looked, the beast was killed, that's the Antichrist character, and its body destroyed. This is going forward, just to give you an idea. And given over to be burned with fire. This is the lake of fire, we'll cover this later. As for the rest of the, of the, the beasts, and this is talking about kingdoms, empires of the past, their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Then notice this. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like that of the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's key. Keep that in your head. An everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Keep that in your head. That is Jesus Christ, who has the right to take that scroll, to take back the title deed, and what does it say? How long will his kingdom last? Forever. Never end. How long is that? It's forever. It's a long time. This, I want you to contrast with this character we're going to look at, who in between, by the way, this is going forward, this is as the kingdom's going to be initiated, which is why I haven't really engaged in this passage, just referenced it. This is going forward into the kingdom age, but he's going to beat this antichrist, this beast, this horn, and it's not going to be hard for him. As a matter of fact, we're going to see it's just the breath of his mouth, his words. And here's, here's what I want to connect to you. You realize that... We have his word, and we can utter his word, and we can proclaim the, the, goodnesses, the goodness and the excellencies of our Savior and the gospel. And what saves people? It's by hearing the gospel, right? Responding to the gospel, the Holy Spirit working in them, drawing them. And that's a supernatural event that happens with the word of God. It's amazing. Like, that happens to us today. The, the, the bigger than just defeating the Antichrist is somebody getting saved, God's saving them with his word, the gospel that's found in this book in front of us. Just a side application to this. The breath of his mouth destroys the Antichrist, but God's word destroys every lofty thought, every lofty idea that this world has ever come up with. It's right here. It's pretty cool stuff. All right, now let's dive into this. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. We know what we're dealing with here. He's been talking about this Antichrist character This particular, and he talks about it a lot in here, but he breaks down a structure for us. And this is probably all we're going to get covered this week, but that's okay. Chapter 24, or chapter 9, verse 24. Here it is. He says this. I'll read it out 
full, and then we'll break it down. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people. Now he's speaking to Daniel just right off the bat, so your head's in the right place. Your people is Israel. Remember, it's about Israel. Anyway, your people and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. That should ring a bell. To bring an everlasting righteousness should ring a bell. To seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. Now know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Whew, that's some heavy stuff there, right? I'm going to do my best, okay? Hang in here with me so that we can understand and you can get a a better understanding of what Daniel is, well, what God's giving us through Daniel. And he's giving us, there's a a couple elements that make this an amazing prophecy. Some of this has been fulfilled, and it's confusing. I'm going to try to break it down. But it's fulfilled to the day, to the very day that it said it would be, and I'll, I'll hopefully be able to explain that to you. Let's look at this first one, 924. Okay, now the very first thing we see here, it says 70 weeks are decreed. Okay, now the term weeks here is shabua or shabuum if we're in the plural, and it doesn't mean like weeks as we think of them. It means a unit of seven, okay? Because when you look at this and you just read it as you see it in the English, and that's, that's our limitation, isn't it? And I'm not a, a, a master of the Hebrew language, so I, I have to trust in, in uh, others that are smarter than me and commentaries, just as we all do. But as you study this, it, it's not a week like we think seven days. As a matter of fact, we're going to see him use that example even in the very next chapter. He'll make mention of a week that has to do with specific days. Contextually, though, he's talking about years. So it's a unit of seven. So when we think of a week, we're thinking of seven years. And you say, well, I don't quite get why you're saying that. Well, let me give you an example here. Daniel using of weeks with years in context. If you look at the beginning of chapter 9, what is Daniel talking about? In the first year of Darius. As a matter of fact, I highlighted four of them. In only two verses, just to start this section, what is Daniel doing? He's making mentions of years. First year of his reign, first year of his reign. It says the number of years according to the word of the Lord that Jeremiah sent. And then that specific 70 years that they would be in captivity. So the context in chapter 9 is years. As we go forward, he's talking about these weeks, a unit of seven. Okay, He's just talking about a unit of seven. And he's specifically saying years. In chapter 10, he does it different. He talks about weeks here, but he's talking about days just a few verses later. So he contextually gives us, oh, he's dealing with days, specific days that this happens. We looked at this passage last week when we were talking about the territorial nature of angelic beings, and it was a specific 21 days. This is the word for days that we would use, okay? 
And you say, okay, I'm not sure I'm convinced. Well, there's an example of this. If we go back in the Old Testament, the same exact word, I put it up here, so boom, this exact example is in that story of Jacob, Leah, and Laban. And if you'll notice, you might remember this, it's kind of a comical story where Jacob, who lied to get the birthright, if you know that account, later on he got his too because he ended up marrying one daughter of Laban and he, I assume, as we read that, that he was too drunk to see. I, could, I don't know. But it wasn't the one he wanted or loved or found attractive. Uh, and he got fooled into it, got tricked into it. And anyway, Laban then said, well, you can have the one you want, but you've got to do this. He says, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return. And then he, he defines it. What's the week here? It's seven years. So same word, same Hebrew word, contextually, oh, we're dealing with years. He uses the term week. It's a, it's a unit of seven. That's what we're dealing with. Okay, so we all on the same page of what he's dealing with when we're talking about weeks. I hope so. I know it's a little confusing. All right, let's go forward. And as I study this and prepare this, I'm like, okay, I'm confusing myself. I hope I don't confuse them. So you just tell me if we go along. But again, just helps to kind of structure this going forward. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, your holy city, to finish the transgressions. We're going to break this down. To put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness. Some of these things you're very familiar with. Let's break this down. What are the 70 weeks for? Right here, we have 70 weeks. If we do the math, here you go, high schoolers. 70 times 7, 490 total years. Now, when God gives a specific like that, you know, God is telling us that he never gets things wrong. And when he calls a shot, he fulfills the shot. If he says it, you can bank it. You can book it. So we're going to check, check this and track this. But here's the thing I want you to keep in the back of your head. They, they had to be Jews who could do math too, who heard this and saw this, and they understand what's going on here. He's defining terms for us. So there's going to be a 490-year period where Israel and Jerusalem are going to be dealt with. These two categories. But what is going to be dealt with? Well, it's going to be the thing that they want the most. What is the thing they're looking for? It's the Messiah, the King, and the kingdom. So this is going to be about that, and he, he's going to have this defined for us. What is going to be accomplished in this time period, in this stretch? So 490 years. Well, it's going to be a finish to, trans, to the transgression, an end to sin, atone for iniquity, and bring everlasting righteousness. Okay, Christian. Do we know what this is and who this is? I think we do. I, I was so tempted to just break down everyone and give you a bunch of scriptures for everyone, but we know who's doing this and who can accomplish this. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4 and 5, we were singing his praises because we knew who this was. Am I right? This is about Jesus and his first coming. It doesn't, at, at this point in time, talk about wrath. It doesn't talk about even the kingdom at this po particular point, although... Everlasting righteousness, I, probably, I think it references that. But it's talking about our biggest problem, right? It's talking about humans, Jews, Gentiles alike, but this is about the Jews, is our biggest problem, is our sin problem. And Jesus is going to come and accomplish this. So in this 490 years, now let's go back. It says here in 925, ESV doesn't use this, but the NASB does. Many of you have your NASB in front of you. It says, until Messiah the Prince... Okay, Messiah the Prince gives us a real specific here. It, for you and I, who, those of you who have the ESV, it spe specifically says, 
and anointed one. Same, same thing. That means Messiah. It means this chosen one. Till the Messiah will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. All right, so we got we to gotta do some more math here. I know it kind of stinks, but we got a little bit more math to do. If we look at this and break this down, it says this. From the going out of the, of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Again, tempted to go to Ezra and Nehemiah with you today. But if you know that story a little bit, after this 70 years of exile in Babylon, God predicted, you'll remember, I've taught this before, through Isaiah, that there would be a guy named Cyrus that would come along and say, you're going to go back and you're going to restore Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Is that ringing a bell? It's an incredible thing. And Artaxerxes eventually makes that happen and fulfills this. But here's what it is, this restoring of the temple. There's a, a marker here. Seven weeks, 49 years, probably, more than likely, referencing the completion of the rebuilding of the temple, the walls, the city, the streets, all of these things in Jerusalem, as was predicted. It's probably connecting all of these. The return from Babylon, and this is, of course, given to us in Ezra and Nehemiah, and it probably includes the completion of the Old Testament, too. So as we get to Malachi, it's probably the finish, the complete of the Old Testament. And we're starting to do math on that. Okay, so that's that first, that's seven weeks. Hang in here with me, okay? Then we get, it says something about 62 weeks, okay? I think this is the time between the intertestamental, intertestamental period. This is the time in between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the time waiting for the Messiah. 62 weeks, and it will be built again with plaza and moat and even times of distress. It was difficult for them to finish the walls, to finish the temple, and it was a difficult era in between those, that, that, those years, those 434 years. And it's 434 years until the coming of the Messiah. Remember, we defined who that was, right? Bringing into sin, the atonement, all of those things. We know that's Jesus. We know he's the Messiah, and that's exactly what he's talking about. Now, specifically, it's the triumphal entry, okay, where it is clear, and Jesus isn't holding back anymore, and he's allowing them to praise him and name him as the Messiah as he's doing Messiah-like things, riding in that donkey, that colt, fulfilling prophecy, coming through into Jerusalem, specifically 434. All right, so here's this culmination of the math here. You ready? Seven weeks plus 62 weeks is 69 weeks, okay? Remember, we're dealing with 70 weeks, 70. This gets us to 69 weeks. Now, for you math geniuses out there, how many weeks do we have left? One, thank you, Dave. And I didn't even point up here. I pointed back here, yes. One week left. These are weeks of years, so we're talking 483 years. Even further math, to get to 490, how many years do you got to add to 483? Seven, thank you, Dave. The rest of you aren't paying attention. Daniel is prophesying that between the decree of Artaxerxes and the coming of Jesus Christ as Messiah, there's going to be 69 weeks, or exactly 483 days, or 83 years. Now, why is this so cool? I'll tell you why it's cool. Okay? I think people like Simeon and Anna could read their Bibles, and they knew this was coming. I think there were other Jews, Pharisees, and uh, and Sadducees, a lot, well, probably not the Sadducees. They didn't, read the, uh, they didn't read the prophets. But Pharisees, priests, some scribes, they knew the Messiah should be coming. But see, they didn't like that part about the ending of sin and atonement. They thought they had that dealt with, you know, through their whole sacrificial system and following their man-made rules. They didn't like that part of the prophecy. 
but they wanted the Messiah to come to establish the kingdom and beat all their enemies and all of those things. Okay? But this is an incredible thing that happened to the day. To the very day. Here's what MacArthur says about it. This is a long one, but he kind of summarizes some of what I said here. These are weeks of years, whereas weeks of days are described in, in a different way in 10, 20, 10, 2, and 3. The time spans from the Persian Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild Jerusalem, 445 B.C., to the Messiah's kingdom. The panorama includes, and we went through these, seven weeks of, or 49 years possibly closing Nehemiah's career, and the rebuilding of the street and wall, as well as the end of the ministry of Malachi, the close of the Old Testament. I address that. Two, 62 weeks, or 434 more years for a total of 483 years to the first advent of Messiah. This was fulfilled at the triumphal entry. Nine or ten, Nisan, by the way, is where we're talking about. This is exactly one, probably March, our time of thinking. Exactly 173,880 days. I mean, exactly to the day. It's amazing when you think about it. Or seven times 69 prophetic years Prophetic years are 360, not 365. The Messiah will be cut off, a common reference to death. Of course, his crucifixion. And then three, the final seven years, which is what we're about to deal with. So why did, why did you spend all this time? Well, this is where we get the seven years. This is where we get the numbers. This is where we get that it's split into three and a half and three and a half. And we'll see this number, 1,260, come up. And you're like, what's the reference? Well, he's saying God's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Our God does what he says he's going to do. And he's telling you and me ahead of time. Now remember, Ezekiel the prophet reminds us that we are, we are watchmen on a wall. We're declaring, hey, bad times are coming. Judgment's coming. You know it's coming. This is incredible. Anna knew it. Simeon knew it. And, and I know you think about Simeon knew he was close to death, but he also knew the Messiah had to be close. So he's just praying, I just want to see the Savior before I die. But he knew because he knew the word. And you know the word. And you know this stuff's coming close. It's coming soon. Could come in our lifetime. And this judgment that God is bringing could be at any moment in time. Okay? And so when we think about this, we think about the opportunities that we have today. And we think about the timing and how God laid it out perfectly for us. And how we know what's coming next is nasty. But, but you and I aren't fearful of it because we've been saved. Because we're going we're gonna to be taken away from this. And you have that message. See, what we're going to see next week with this first writer that we've already looked at, but we're going to look at it very closely next week, is he brings a false peace. Okay? He brings a false peace. What are people on earth looking for? What's their desire? What do they want? Oh, you know, they want people to just get along. They want, you know, open borders. They want my truth, your truth. It's all good, right? They want that kind of peace. They don't want the real peace. See, we are at enmity with our maker. We're at enmity with the ancient of days and the son of man because they're holy and they're perfect and their, their heaven is holy and perfect. Their kingdom will be holy and perfect. Your biggest problem, my biggest problem, isn't the physical temporal peace and war that's going on. It's the war within us. And that's the same problem everybody else has got. And you have the message of reconciliation, according to Romans, right? You get it. You have it. Remember what I said earlier. The word of God destroys Satan. It destroys the Antichrist. The word of God gives the solution, gives the peace that people really need. We'll get that next week. But that very first judgment is a false peace that people just buy into. You know 
what's been predicted. You know what's happened already to the day. Pretty incredible. Complicated, but incredible. So now we know what's coming next. It's our job to tell people, and we'll, we'll get into that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this structure that you've given us. Your word is true. Complicated sometimes, but it's true. And we know what you've done in the past, and we know what you're going to do in the future. And we know we hold the keys to real peace. And it's through your word, it's through the gospel, it's through your son. We know that we all, everyone in here who, who you have saved, we were at one time at war with you, whether we knew it or not. We were in league with the devil, whether we knew it or not. We were going our own way, whether we knew it or not. We were following the passions of our evil hearts, whether we knew it or not. And you saved us when we heard the gospel. And we, we thank you that we had that opportunity. You've now given us that opportunity to tell others. We know what's coming. Thank you for telling us what's coming. But we're not afraid of it. Because your perfect love casts out that fear. We don't have to be judged for our sins. You took care of those. I pray that we offer that to the ones around us as well. That our lights are a beacon of light, light to the people around us in a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.